Welcome to another episode of Journey to Midwifery. This week I have on Deidre DeGrado. She is a certified professional midwife practicing out of Wichita, Kansas. She has been in midwifery for many, many, many years and has a wonderful, powerful, passionate story to share about her journey to midwifery and some inspiring words to those thinking about or new to midwifery. So I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed speaking to Deidre. Welcome to the Journey to Midwifery podcast. This is a podcast for and about midwives. This is the place where midwives come to share their stories. I am your host, Amber Wilson, a midwife myself. I felt called to this journey of sharing the stories of midwives around the globe, and I hope that you will find as much joy listening as I do interviewing. Remember the quote, life is about the journey, not the destination. Okay. Um, hello, Deidre. Welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on. Um, give us an intro. Tell us who you are. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Deidre DeGrado, and I am a certified professional midwife in the Midwest. I've been in practice for almost 20 years. I'm currently in what I would call kind of a group-ish practice. And um, I serve with a couple of other midwives in our group and a student. And then we have obviously an office coordinator and that sort of thing. Um, I've delivered probably close to about a thousand babies and I do mostly home birth, although we kind of have a home away from home birth setting as well that we use. Um, And of course, you know, sometimes you end up supporting women in a hospital setting, but obviously in a different kind of role. Where are you in the Midwest? Uh, Wichita, Kansas. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good. Um, so we're going to go all the way back to the beginning mm-hmm. and share why you felt called to midwifery. Okay. Well, um, it's kind of a long story, but initially as a child, I was completely and totally enamored with babies and children and even pregnant women actually really kind of fascinated me. And so, um, when I first, uh, was, you know, kind of the first thing I remember being enamored with children was when I was eight years old and I would just even go to my neighbor's house and, and kind of be a little mommy's helper to her. She had two little children and that was my first, wow, I really love children. I really loved holding her babies. But what I also, when I think about my early young years, you know, leading up through even middle school and high school, I was drawn to even women who had just had babies and children and I would just really watch very detailed things that I don't think probably young girls my age were maybe that interested in. I would watch their techniques about how they held the baby when they breastfed and I would watch how they would burp the baby and I would think okay I want to burp my baby that way you know um, and and I was very detailed in my thought processes as I made observations about women who had just had children. And so my thoughts kind of, that's where they originated from. Uh, and then I, I got out of uh, high school and I kind of wanted to go to nursing school, 
the idea of like a NICU nurse or something like that appealed to me. Pediatric nurse, those kinds of things appealed to me. But uh, I didn't have a very good grade on the ACT. So I didn't get into the school that I wanted to get into. And at that point, I was kind of defeated and just thought, well, I need to do something different. I'm not smart enough for that. I'm not capable of that. And so I kind of just went off into working into healthcare, like administratively, receptionist, um, you know, payables in a nursing home, those kinds of things. And then I also studied a little bit. I was thinking about going into criminal justice, which this was way off the beaten path. And so I actually studied uh, criminal justice in college. And um, I worked for a while as a private investigator. And, um, and that was very fascinating, interesting work, but it wasn't anything that I was passionate about, but it was interesting and fun. And um, so when people find out I used to be a private detective, they find that very interesting. Um, but it's a great way to figure out things about people. Anyway, um, then uh, some years later, uh, when I was <clears throat> approximately, well, I guess I was 21, I was pregnant uh, with my first child. And I started to, you know, just like everybody does, kind of learn about pregnancy and you go to the typical classes and all that. But I ran across a publication and I don't remember now what it was, but it, it had some information that I do remember there was um, something about it uh, from Ina May Gaskin and it was talking about um, perineal tears and episiotomies and that sort of thing. And so I began to read a little bit more about that. And so I went to my appointment with my doctor who, you know, this isn't a slam, but he was an old white guy. And, um, <laughs> and, and I said, so, you know, I was talking with him about my birth and I said, so I really don't want to have an episiotomy. And uh, he looked at me and he said, you know, that is really my concern and my problem uh, and if you kind of need one, you're going to get one and you really don't have anything to say about it. And really, honey, pat, pat, don't worry. Don't worry mm -hmm. about those things, you know? <laughs> and I think back on that, you know, and I'm just incredibly horrified by that answer now, just incredibly horrified. But, you know, this is 33 years ago. Um, and so I was, I was kind of, <clears throat> to be frankly honest, I was that young girl that thought, wow, what did I think I knew something about? And what did, why did that article make me think that I had something to say about my birth and about my body? And I was, I, I was really frankly humiliated. I think that that was the feeling that I had was how embarrassing. And so I just went on, I had an induction, I was approximately 10 days late, and I had just kind of the typical run-of-the-mill hospital birth, although, you know, at that time, I was in a very large hospital in, um, in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and you know, my daughter was taken from me right away, you know, she had meconium. So back in that day, we did all the suctioning and all of that kind of thing, you know, regardless of how they came out. And then I had her for a short period of time and she went to the nursery and she was brought to me, you know, every three hours for me to feed her. Um, family members, you know, were no one was really allowed in except for the grandparents and myself. And uh, I mean, my self, my husband. 
And so, you know, it wasn't based on today's standard and ideal birth, but, you know, that birth made me who I am today and um, made me a mother, you know. Uh, but moving on, when I was, uh, when my daughter was 18 months old, my sister was pregnant and she was living in a small, small rural area. And she uh, also was looking at an induction and, you know, her doctor was basically saying a lot of the same things to her that were told to me. But by this point, I was like, uh, I don't know, like I was really even more questioning on it because I was like, it wasn't that I was upset about my experience necessarily, but I was beginning to think, okay, this just can't be right, you know? So I was saying, hey, well, maybe you should think about asking about this or asking about that. And she, of course, you know, did what I did. And of course, the doctor, you know, poo-pooed the whole thing. And she uh, was induced in what turned into a very long ordeal. You know, she started with... Um, prostaglandin and Pitocin, and it kind of went on and on and on. And I think we were about two days into that labor, and um, and she basically, my mom was there. I had been in to see her probably about a couple of hours before. And when I went in to see her, you know, she was hooked up to everything. The baby was having D-cells. They had turned the Pitocin up and down, you know, and all the extravaganza that goes with inductions. And, um, she, I, I had a very strong emotional response when I went in to see her that time. And I, I just said, I just real feel really bad for you that you're having to go through all of this. And, um, and then we stayed and some hours later, my mom was in there and she just basically said, I can't breathe. And they, those were her last words. She died from an amniotic embolism. And, oh um, yeah, it was really very, very tragic. They, it was a very small hospital. And so, you know, the emergency services were limited at best. There was an OB that I think arrived, I don't know, some short time later. Uh, she was delivered by a family practice doctor and the OB arrived. And of course they did, you know, they opened her up. They tried to get her heart going. They tried everything they could and she just didn't make it, you know, and it was really tragic. They did save um, her little son. He was uh, life flighted to uh, Denver and spent some time at Children's Hospital and then moved again to Colorado Springs where um, the dad kind of flew the coop and my parents adopted him. He ended up having severe cerebral palsy. He's 30 years old right now, and um, but he's an amazing human. We named him Joshua because uh, I'll kind of end my story with this, but basically we all knew we were going to have to be very strong and courageous. And so that set the trajectory of my life, that event did. And I began to search out and try to figure out what makes birth safe. And I would say this part of my story is really the biggest part of my story. And it's a very, it's incredibly emotional and it's incredibly deep. And I don't want women to be afraid, but I have to tell that story because this is how I got where I am. And so I began to figure out and began to ask and began to search out what in the world makes birth safe. And I knew there had to be an answer. And so some years down the road, I met with, um, we, my husband, 
long story short, I got divorced. I got re I got married again. And, um, the husband that I'm married to now, we've been married 28 years and he and I used to have lunch with another, uh, my husband's a chiropractor. He used to have lunch with another chiropractor and his wife and she was pregnant. And I said, um, wow, tell me, you know, tell me about your story. And, um, and she said, well, I'm, I have a midwife. And I said, a midwife. Okay. Well, I've read about midwives. And I said, you know, tell me what are, you know, tell me more about it. And she said, well, would you like to come to a prenatal with me? I said, oh, what I, I would love to come to a prenatal with you. And, um, and so during that time, I was able to go to some prenatals with her and I met her midwife. In the meantime, I had a young single gal who, um, ended up needing some support at a birth and um, I volunteered to go with her. And that was very hard for me, incredibly hard for me. But she was, she was single and she really needed some support. And so at that point, I went to that birth. And, you know, it was kind of, again, the typical run-of-the-mill birth. But I left that and I, I thought, I can serve women in this capacity. And I don't know why I said that because I think anybody who had been in the shoes that I had been in, that would be the last thing they would want to do. But there was something compelling me inwardly to serve women despite what had happened with my sister or maybe in spite of you know I don't know um, but uh, in the long run that gal invited me to her birth and uh, so it was a home birth and I didn't really know anything about it I'd been to a couple of prenatals and um, when the baby came it was really beautiful the whole thing was just so just chill, <clears throat> chill and relaxed and warm and family oriented and just all of the things that I was like, this is really what birth should be about. So shortly after the birth, and I didn't know this ahead of time, because again, like I knew her, but not super well, the dad, um, you know, stood up and, and um, said, you know, I want to read something. And, um, you know, we, they were telling what they were going to name him. And they said, um, we're going to name him Joshua. And they read from the book of Joshua, Joshua 1.9, and it says, be very strong and be very strong and courageous. And this was the second time I was kind of hearing that because those words had been spoken over, you know, my nephew, who's now at this point has been adopted by my parents. And so he's basically my little brother. And, um, and I was like, okay, wow, <laughs> I'm being spoken to here, you know. That's powerful. So, yeah, at that point, I, I knew I was called to a life of, of midwifery. At that point, I just didn't know kind of how it was going to happen. Yeah, that that's very powerful. That gave me chills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's an intense story. It really, really is. Um, so basically, I ended up um, getting to know that midwife that had delivered that baby pretty well. She invited me into you know, an apprenticeship of sorts. And um, I wasn't going to be doing a lot. Of course, you know, I was running my husband's practice and um, we had come into the marriage with four kids. He had three boys and I had a daughter. And so when we came to the point of him and I discussing it, I just said, you know, I really think this is what I want to do. And at first he was kind of hesitant about it. And I think, you know, he was just thinking about my own emotional well-being. Uh, and so later on, I ended up, um, I got pregnant and we decided to have a home birth 
And that was about two years after I had been to that other one. And by this point, I'd been to a couple of other home births with that midwife. I had be, I had gone through the neonatal resuscitation course and I had found that I really had an aptitude for learning medical things and um, it came quite easily for me. And so we decided to have a home birth. And um, of course, that was not easy for really my parents. It was really difficult to, for them to think about that, for, think about me having a child, period, another one. Um, but we decided to have a home birth with that midwife, and I went through the pregnancy and the birth, and it was kind of long and hard, but he was born at home, and we named him Josiah, which means Yahweh heals. And we just expected God to bring healing to our family at that point. And so the birth really did go, I mean, it was hard, you know, I hadn't had a natural birth before, but it was just the typical run-of-the-mill birth. Of course, I got, um, I had a, a premature rupture, took me a while to go into labor, kind of all the things that could go wrong that weren't terrible kind of went wrong. I got a postpartum infection because I had been ruptured so long, you know, yada, yada, yada. But it, it was really, really special and really great. He was born on my husband's father's birthday, and he was born in 1911. He had been gone already 25 years at that point, but that was a really that was really precious. Um, and then I just went went on to continue kind of studying midwifery and um, having you know more babies at home, and I became really interested in water birth because I would get I got into the tub with one of my births and. My husband and my midwife didn't know anything about birth. Now, mind you know, now we're still like 23 years ago. We're still kind of, you know, in the dark ages with some things about birth. And I just, they were like, oh, you've got to get out of the tub. And I'm not getting out of the tub. And they're like, you're getting out. And so, of course, I got out. And I was resentful and mad. And I said, that'll be the last birth that I personally will have without having it in the water. So I went on to get trained in water birth. I made my midwife and my mentor get trained in water birth. And we started doing water births in Wichita, you know, and so we kind of just paved the way for that. And of course, then I went on to have um, two more children and had water births and started offering water births to our clientele. It took me about eight years to become a CPM because I was having so many children and still, you know, so we had a large family in the end, you know, we had nine children and um, his, mine and ours. And so um, about eight years after I started, I started independently practicing. I shared an office space with my mentor and we kind of backed each other up. I wouldn't say we had shared practices, but we were supportive of each other. And, um, and that's kind of the story of me getting into midwifery, really. And how long ago was that that you started working on your um, own? I think it's going on 18 years right now. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well. You look like a very young lady oh, thank for you. those that can't see you. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. So I think in the long run, I chose, you know, the CPM route because it was the one that was presented to me. I think if I could have, you know, done better on my ACT test, I probably would have just went off and become a CNM, you know, back when I was 18, 19, 20 years old. Uh, but in the end, I think that, you know, this was just the path that was, was ideal for me and the timing was right. And, um, and I'm, I'm happy that I've gone down this route and it's worked out really beautifully for me. So how does it look like, how does it look now? What does your practice look like now? Yeah. So my practice now is, um, there's three other midwives besides myself. We have, 
um, what Leslie <laughs> has kind of helped me identify a name for. We call it, we we did call it a group practice, but she said, well, I think it's more of a co-op, and so we've been talking more about that, but. Um, I think it's a co-op, you know, it's kind of like we share space. I'm in charge of all of the finances. I basically do all of the administrative work and we share costs and we work out of the same office. We take call for each other sort of, you know, as far as like if somebody has family things or we're sick or we just need time off. We don't really have a set call schedule, but we definitely support each other. We always take two midwives to every practice. Our newer midwife serves mostly as our birth assist. Um, we, we live in an urban area, but our office is more in the suburban part of the city. And, um, I probably deliver about 50 to 60 babies a year. And, um, yeah. So why would you say a co-op versus a group? What makes that difference? Um, because everybody is basically independently contracted. I don't pay them a salary. Okay. So they're independently co contracted, but we have a really unique situation in the way that um, we collect money and pay bills and do all of that. It's kind mm -hmm. of, um, yeah, it's just a shared expense kind of model, but very different, I guess, from, you know, Leslie seems to, I don't know, you know her, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, just I don't know much about what's going on in the rest of the world and the rest of the United States about how people do it. But um, I think it's kind of a unique situation the way that we have ours set up. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, do you each um, take like your own client and follow her through instead of a shared? Okay. Yeah. yeah so everybody has their own midwife, their own personal midwife who does all of their prenatal labor delivery and postpartum. Unless like, you know, if it's a Tuesday and that's my clinic day and I'm at a birth, then one of the other midwives is going to cover my clinic. Right. So all of our clients have the opportunity really to meet all of us at mm -hmm. one time or another. Okay. Yeah. That, I can see the difference in why she would call it that versus a group practice. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Because while I do own the practice, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm saying that in quotations, um, you know, I don't really, they're not, I'm, I'm not paying them a salary. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. It reminds me of like people who do hair, you kind of yeah. rent the chair, yeah. <laughs> but there's right. somebody that like, quote, owns the shop. Yeah. Yeah. The building and all yeah. that. Yeah. 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 For yeah. sure. Do you, so do you have a center? Is it all home? Um, it's, it is, Somewhat both. Um, so a little bit about Kansas. I know that was one of the things that I was going to share about was uh, Kansas is basically we are not licensed. Um, Kansas is legal, but by judicial interpretation. And so um, in the early 90s, my midwife mentor and another midwife were um, prosecuted for the loss of a twin. And they, the, they basically were um, prosecuting them for practicing license and nursing uh, without a license. So that actually ended up going to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court unanimously um, ruled that it was not the practice of medicine or nursing, that midwifery is an independent practice of its own. So that judicial interpretation and ruling basically set the law for Kansas. Um, we could, you know, potentially do some sort of licensing thing in our state, but we really have the perfect situation because um, for the midwives who are practicing appropriately, I mean, are going through the certified, you know, professional midwife process, 
um, you know, and are properly trained, it's fantastic because, you know, we really don't have to have a lot of um, really strict protocols or anything. At the same time, I don't think it's ideal for the public because there are people that could call themselves midwives, and they do, um, or, you know, midwife health coaches or whatever. Um, and, you know, maybe they don't have appropriate training. Maybe they are, you know, kind of presenting themselves to the public in a way that maybe isn't appropriate. So, you know, it has its ups and downs, and I can see both sides of it. Um, but for me, it's ideal. It's fantastic. It's, um, you know, I just have a lot less restrictions in the way that I can practice when it comes to, like, VVACs and multips and some of those things that in other states people, you know, aren't allowed to do. So back to the home birth. Yes, most of our births are home birth, but we do have, again, we don't have strict licensure rules about birth centers. And we actually have a really hard time in the state of Kansas even getting birth centers because, you know, it's kind of like the arc ages when it comes to supportive, collaborative doctors. We have very few. And so we don't have a lot of independent birth centers. We have basically kind of hospital birth centers. In our area, we have one hospital-based birth center. Then we have one kind of a little bit outside of our area. And then, in, um, and then there's a freestanding birth center in a Mennonite community outside of Wichita. And they're really, you know, kind of the only one that isn't attached to a hospital in our close area. And so we have um, what's called a birth suite. It's in the home of that midwife that mentored me. And uh, people can have their baby there. And really, there's not a requirement for licensure. Um, it's kind of a home away from home birth. And it's looked at that way. And, um, you know, so far, there really haven't been any problems with that. But it's very close to the hospital. And so I think that there are people that don't want home births for a variety of reasons. You know, maybe they are out too far because there is a lot of rural area in Kansas that's underserved. So they can come and have their baby there if they want. Um, most of us have gotten really busy, so we don't travel outside of a 60-mile radius. Um, and so it's a good opportunity for people who, or people who just want to be really close to the hospital or don't feel comfortable with their own home or whatever. It's a good, it's a good alternative. I am curious, and do you know, um, what are the CNM regulations in Kansas? Yeah, so CNM regulations in Kansas overall are fine, but in our area, so I have one CNM CPM, she's CNM and CPM in our mm -hmm. group, um, but basically she was the only midwife that worked in the hospital for 17 years, and then they let her go. They didn't want to support the midwifery model anymore because she was super busy, super popular. Um, and so they just decided to let her go. And I think because the midwifery uh, model was really, really, really growing in Wichita and they probably didn't like that, you know, yeah. I, I don't know for sure, but that's basically my guess. And so she started practicing with us and doing home births and um, that was fantastic. But at the same time that left both of our hospitals, the only two that do births with no midwives at all. And there was a lot of community pushback. There were people, you know, doing, you know, setting up in groups and, um, you know, just trying to get some media attention about it. And we really did get some media attention about it, but the situation hasn't changed. Um, none of, no groups, you know, are supporting any midwives having babies 
in the hospital. We have some midwives that are employed that are doing prenatal, but the door for them to actually deliver babies is, you know, closed. Do you have a really hard time with transfers then to the hospital? No, I actually don't. Okay. Um, We've spent, our group has worked very hard on creating a very professional, um, just a very professional setting. And we are very careful about what and how we do our transfers. We went to the host, one of the hospitals years ago and we shared with them the best practices for home birth transfers. And we talked with them about our expectations. Uh, this was after we'd had a not very good situation, a couple back to back. And the administration was kind of unaware of basically what was happening. And so we just tried to be very professional, but also very forthright about our expectations. And we asked them to share what, what were their expectations, you know. And we tried to reset the tone for, you know, the quote, train wrecks and, and all of that and tried to explain, but this is what it means to transfer. This is why we transfer. This is, you know, we wanted to reframe that that idea of the train wreck, you know, and so we did that at that time and during that whole season of the last really 20 to 30 years, we had a very, one very strong doctor that was very supportive of all the midwives. He ended up retiring. We had another doctor reach out to us coming from another state who had not been been trained and kind of, you know, at KU. And so that model doesn't really allow for doctors to understand the midwifery model well. There's just not an opportunity for them to see midwives in practice or to understand what that is. And he had come from a very strong midwifery model school, uh, medical school. And so he's been very supportive of us. Um, and so he kind of took the place of that other doctor and then basically things, you know, have just settled down by and large and that hospital is loved. They love to have us. I mean, they will tell our clients, Hey, we support the midwives. We're happy you're here. Um, and they do, they take the transfers of the majority of the midwives transfer to that hospital with that doctor. But we also, the other hospital also has a, one doctor and now another one that recently reached out to us and said, hey, I'm willing to support you. I'm willing to, you know, do whatever I can can do for, you know, your patients if they need things. And so, you know, I think we have a great situation. I don't I don't sweat transfers at all. I I can call up any one of those doctors at any time with anything. Um, and they all practice di- very differently, but I kind of know what situation is going to be ideal for for each client or if one's available or not available. I think it's fantastic. I, it does sound fantastic. It's really great. It's yeah. really, really great. And I'm incredibly thankful for that doctor and that hospital to treat us. So, and I say treat us, but honestly, I told them in the very beginning, I don't care how you treat me. This isn't about me. This is about my client. Mm-hmm. And if they're coming in, they want to be treated with respect. This is a big upheaval for them too. And, you know, at the same time, you know, we talk to our, our clients about what to expect and like, Hey, we're there for a reason. So we just can't be fighting everything tooth and nail. Like we're, we're thankful and we're happy. And, you know, here's the things that you can expect. And if we have a transfer, we, we just have to, you know, change some expectations but how you're treated will be excellent. Yeah. Um, 
how are the medication laws in Kansas for you all practicing out of hospital? Well, yes, that always seems to be the answer. <laughs> well, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm debating about how much to say about that. Uh, I would say like, I'm not going to a birth without carrying Pitocin. So, I mean, we all carry meds. We yeah. have, we have a different set of people who support that situation, a different set of doctors. Yeah. Not that the other ones wouldn't, but I kind of feel like they have their, their role. And then we have other people that understand home birth, that have home births, that are doctors that get it, right. and that support the model and, and help us on the other side of that. So that's a fair answer. So, yeah. So I, we have support. Good. Yeah. Uh, it just seems, you know, in States, I recently interviewed another midwife who had to get, who's a CNM that had to get her CPM to practice out of hospital. So well, that's this, what my partner did. That's what I was going to ask you. Could she practice with her CNM licensure? But it sounds like, no, she had to, to get her she, CPM. Well, technically she can keep the CNM because mm -hmm. that's a certification, but she had to drop her APRN. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, that was, she, she called probably 10 to 15 doctors to try to get a collaboration because in order for her to do it, she had to have a collaboration. Now we recently have had a law change where she could be what's called kind of this uh, independent certified nurse midwife where she doesn't need collaboration. But if you can believe this, the limitations are on that, that she can't do well woman care. She can't, you know, write a prescription for the pill. That's ridiculous. Pre ridiculous it's totally <laughs> ridiculous so at this point you know she's going to be retiring soon and so you know I don't think she has any desire probably to do that CNMI thing although she could right now she just decided to let her APRN go keep her CNM keep her CPM and and practice the way we practice she doesn't have as many limitations and in all honesty like you know, we are midwives. And I think as long as, you know, we're not going to Mexico to get meds, I don't think that there's really going to be any problem even with us carrying meds. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, they're, we're not going to induce somebody at home, mm -hmm. you know, and I think as long as people are being wise about what they're using those medications for, um, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it would be a problem. My husband actually is on the board of healing arts in our state. Um, we have the Board of Healing Arts in Kansas is a combined board. So there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of discretion and a lot of understanding in the Board of Healing Arts about people practicing differently. And, and I think, honestly, we're just protected by that, that statute from the Supreme Court. You know, yeah. there really isn't anything they can do, you know. No, but it's really just a, an unnecessary restriction that ultimately harms the Women. Yeah. yeah because absolutely. if you can't get what you need to stop a hemorrhage yeah that's ridiculous yeah absolutely absolutely and then and then what they are going to get is train wrecks for transfers right and <laughs> so, then wonder why, hmm. and then why huh, what's not working here yes. yeah yeah that's crazy i would say it seems more restrictive from getting to know all of you in middle america more restrictive than less. Seems so. I think so. But, you know, I'm sure there's people out here that can correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. That's just what I've gathered. And silly laws like, oh, you, you know, if you're CNM, you can't do this, but then you have to get your CPM. Like the person already is a midwife. 
Why? It's ridiculous. <laughs> that is so ridiculous that they have to do that because, yeah, here they are. They're already a certified nurse midwife with incredible medical background. I mean, CPMs are midwives, period. You know, when you've got a CNM, they have an incredible medical background on top of their, their midwife license. I mean, it's, it's unbearable what they have to go through. I mean, sometimes I just think, okay, God spared me having to deal with that because that's what I would have done, <laughs> you know? But I think you all actually have to have, I mean, yes, we have a lot, but I think you have to have more births, right? Honestly, when Sharon came on board with our group, she was kind of stunned by the amount of training that a CPM actually has to have compared yeah. to a CNM could get their license and maybe deliver 20 babies. Yeah. You know, where for us, it does take five years. I mean, mm -hmm. and it's sometimes, I mean, you could do it in as little as three if you were in a really busy practice, but the amount of stuff, like I take students all the time and they, all of their skill stuff that they have to have signed off, all of their prenatal, postpartum, births, you know, catches, then what they call, um, then they have something where they have to do everything from beginning to end, like on the same client, all of the Yeah, like a continuity. Yeah, continuity. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, I think honestly, the CPM is more, more difficult. Yeah. It's a lot. I mean, we have, I guess if you count like your undergrad, it's still yeah, six it's to eight years. Than that. Yeah. Long yeah. time. It's, Both are long. Yes. But, but you yeah. have a medical background that is mm -hmm. very thorough and very deep. So when you consider that, yeah, but the midwifery part, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You guys have a lot, a lot. <laughs> you just live that for years before you get your license. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very, yeah. Um, so what else am I going to ask you? Yes. Yeah, so how have you, this is always a favorite question. How did you balance midwifery especially out of hospital you don't really necessarily have a schedule and being a mom of many children mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so um I would say I'm I've I did a lot in the beginning um with small children and I would say I kind of regret that I kind of regret being as busy and finishing finishing and going through my training like that when my children were so small I mean one of my kiddos I took to birth as a baby I literally swaddled her and she was just kind of the perfect baby and she went to birth with me um but so I kind of regret that you know you kind of look back and you're like man that time was so fleeting and I was always going to be a midwife but you know you don't know that at the time you're like uh I gotta do whatever I can I gotta get this done you know um, but I, I really did juggle it well. I, I don't know. I have a high capacity for a lot of things in my life, and um, I don't need a lot of sleep. I've never needed a lot of sleep, so I think that helps. But um, in recent years, my husband, like I said, is a chiropractor, and one of the things that we finally kind of came to the conclusion, once I started delivering about, oh, probably I was in the 25 to 30 range, we just sat down and had a, a frank conversation. It's like, hey, you're working, you know, four days a week and I'm working two days a week and we've got all of these kids and they're little and they need to run around and they don't need to be abandoned um, because of our jobs and our calling. And so at that point, my husband just decided to semi-retire. And, um, and, you know, that was just a joint decision. Um, 
of what worked best for us. So he went to working Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I worked Tuesday, Thursday. And that, it was an absolute godsend because I was also able to have a frank conversation with him about like, look, I, it's not that I just need a body here. I need to feel like if I'm not available for a birthday party, like you're going to pull this off and do it great. Like, I just need to know that the kids aren't going to suffer when I'm called out to things at the last minute. And I need to know that, you know, they're, of course, you're going to do things your way and that's okay. Like, I think kids need balance with parents doing things in a different way. But, um, but my husband just solely supported my calling to midwifery. He never looked at me like my life and my job was all about him or all about my kids. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying like he gave me the freedom and he gave our life and our marriage the freedom for me to have something that he believed wholeheartedly in that I was designed to do. And so um, I think because we had that kind of marriage and we both had failed at a marriage before, um, we're just committed to supporting each other, but also like supporting our kids is, you know, it's something that we both take seriously and marriage is a hundred, a hundred. And we both just agreed to give a hundred percent, both of us and not look at it like a 50, 50. So it's great. You know, I come home on Tuesdays and Thursdays and he sticks dinner and he's done shopping. And if I have a to-do list of things that need to be done, you know, he does them and he does them lovingly. And, you know, when he comes home on Monday, Wednesday, you know, I'm here and dinner's cooked and things are outlined and, and if I'm not here, I'm not here, you know, and, and he just takes over. And so I think that we just have a really good situation. It's not always been easy. Of course, there are difficulties with that. There's, you know, I mean, I could just be frank and honest and think like, okay, like, why does a guy only want to have sex when I've been up all night? You know what I'm saying? Like, what about three nights ago when I had sleep, you know? I mean, just to be frank, like, there's yeah. those things. And he's probably thinking, well, why does she, why couldn't she just go to the store herself today? You know, what mm -hmm. was she doing all day? You know, and of course we've had those thoughts and of course we've had those words. But ultimately, like, we're, we're committed to the life that we've been called to. And, you know, that just has to win in the end. Yeah. And I like that you said that because you, you're pointing out that nobody's perfect. No. You've, you've made the situation where it doesn't mean it's magic and rainbow and unicorns. There's always spunk. Yeah. yeah, of course. You know, of course. Yeah. It's not, it's not Instagram, right? All the time. No, it's, it's, it's all actually almost never Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> what are your kids ages now? What are their range? Yeah. So my oldest is just turned 33 mm -hmm. and, um, I actually had the blessing of being her midwife Aww. and, um, that was the first time I've gotten to do that. I've been very supportive and very involved with all of my colleagues as daughters and that sort of thing. I've been the midwife that's like, okay, I'm going to be the objective one while you're the mom and you're the midwife all in the grandma. So, um, so I knew what it looked like, but I hadn't done it myself. And let me just say it was a heck of a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. It was really difficult. Thankfully, one of my partners had done it a lot. And so she said, here's what I recommend. She said, you're going to say to her, okay, I'm putting my mom hat on now. And this is what I have to say as a mom. And then you're going to say, okay, this is my midwife hat. And this is what I have to tell you. And this is what oh, I need to tell you. That's and a good so idea. 
So I did that a lot. I did a lot of a lot of mom hats and a lot of midwife hats, but um, in the end, she ended up with a transfer. And um, thankfully, again, that hospital rolled out the red carpet. I mean, when they said, they, hey, Deidre's daughter's coming in for a transfer, I'm not kidding you. Like, they were ready to give her her epidural the minute we walked in the door. And honestly, she had the baby two hours later after getting her block, and we had her back home in bed in four hours. Oh. So, we were at the hospital all of about six hours, and um, it was a really beautiful birth, but it was long and hard, just like a lot of first ones. Um, but it was, it, she was really happy with her experience in the end. So she's 33. Then I have a stepson that is about to turn 33, another one that's 32, another one that's 30. And then my husband and I had five kids together. And, um, and they, the youngest is, uh, 12. I found out I was pregnant with her on my 41st birthday mm -hmm. or no on my yeah 41st birthday. And I had her on his 47th birthday. And, um, and so that was kind of one of those, wow. Uh, my husband always said, Hey, I don't want to have any more after I turned 40. He said, you know, we might get a milk dud. And we always say, no, we got a cherry on top of the Sunday. <laughs> oh. So, um, yeah. And then we have, so yeah, we have four girls and a son and they range in age from, uh, let's see, he just would have turned, I think he's 26. <laughs> and, um, so, uh, Three of them are married. Well, one's about to get married next month, and then the other two are married. And then we have one that's a cheerleader at Wichita State, and then we just have the one little one at home. So so everybody's out of the house except this one little one, and our life is much quieter than we, you know, have experienced in the entirety of our marriage. But, yeah. um, you know, we're still really interactive with the rest of the family, and, and that's great. Yeah. Wow. Busy, busy life yeah. you've had. Yes. We have had a very busy, full life. We've hosted 10 different exchange students from all over the world, and that was really a gift, too. I love it. You have such a fulfilling life, even mm -hmm. though you've had such a busy career, and your husband, along with his yeah. busy career. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I know people like this question often is um, income, mm -hmm. which I'm sure varies doing hospital, but do you have a general number yeah. of what you take home? Yeah, I do. Um, let me grab my calculator here though. Okay. I write my check for every month. Um, so what I do is I'm incorporated. So of course I pay myself a salary. I kind of like to look at my salary portion as, um, what I pay myself to manage and run and own the clinic. Mm -hmm. So for that, I pay myself minimal. I pay myself like $500 a week. <laughs> Okay. Um, and then, hang on, let me just see what this one is. Yeah. And then I pay myself about 60 to $70,000 a year. Okay. So 60 to 70 plus the other, the, um, well, actually I pay myself a little bit more than that. So probably 60 to 75, depending on how many births I do. For the birth and pregnancy care? Just all together. Oh, all together. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. For running your own practice and and you said you do about 50 a year which is 50 to 60 yeah what i can't even do the math how many well on? i would tell you like as a business owner i've kind of figured out what it costs to do business and i yeah. would say like most midwives you can look at whatever you collect like say you um in the midwest i think most midwives we just did a survey at the kma and then i think uh leslie also just did one and it looked like ours kind of ran about the same as hers but um 
our, I would say the Midwest, the fee for um, the global runs about 3,500. And so I would say to most midwives, if you're doing more than 25 to 30 births a month, uh, you're going to end up taking home about 60% of that. And the other 40 is going to be spent on running your business. Assume now, you mean a year, 25 to 30 a year. No, I meant like 3,500 per birth. Oh, okay. Yes. So 60% of that you're going to take home and the other 40% Got you. Going to cost you to run your business. Okay. So what I tell women is, you know, if you're only doing about 20 births a year and, you know, you're going to make more than 60% because your cost of business is low lower, especially mm -hmm. if you practice out of your house or something, you know, but as you start doing more, you need more services done for you. So you don't want to do 50 birth certificates and I don't want to order supplies for that many people. And I don't want to answer the phone that much for that many people. And so the more people you see, the more services you need done for you so that you can be the midwife. If you're only doing 20 births a year, you can do all of that yourself and you can probably make more, but you're going to work more. Um, so that's kind of just what I've seen from a business standpoint. That's a good, that's good advice. Well, I do wonder, I mean, you've done business for yourself for years and years. Sure. Yeah. What made you connect with um, Leslie, who, for people who don't know, runs midwifery business consultation? Yeah. So actually, I, um, I don't even know where I first saw her name. I think it was in my Facebook, one of the Facebook midwifery groups that I'm in. And somebody was starting a business and they were asking about like, are there midwives that do consultations? And I thought, wow, that, that would be a genius business. And somebody, of course, posted her business in there. So I clicked on it and I thought, you know, I'm having a couple of rough spots with a couple of things in my business that I want to get figured out. And I want to figure out like how to line this out a little bit better. And so, um, so I reached out to her and we did a consultation and, um, just kind of ran over some things. And, um, I was really excited because she was really excited about the way I was doing things. And she was like, wow, okay, you have an incredible model. You probably have a better situation than you could have ever imagined. And so, um, so yeah, we just had some good conversations. She was able to kind of point me in some direction and some things that I needed to nail down a little bit firmer. And then also to kind of just challenge me with like, Hey, what else, what other services, you know, could you offer with what, with what you're doing for your group? And so, yeah, we just had a really great meeting and, um, and we've had some further conversations about some further business ideas. And, and so, yeah, I like her a lot and I think she's really a gift to them, to the midwifery community because there's nobody doing anything like that. I mean, I feel like I do that in my community with my midwife that I know to I'm kind of the midwife's midwife you know like oh my gosh something's come up like can you come over to this birth and I pop over there and help them with whatever's going on or hey what do you think about this for business or that for business but you know not in a formal way which is what she offers so I mean I think she's I think it's great I hope if people are having business things they should totally reach out to her isn't that cool after all I yes. would think like you're the expert you after yeah. doing it for so many years but you can still find help from yeah. someone else. You can still grow and get some tips. That's, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. We're always growing, you know, midwifery is that kind of thing. Like I think about the way we used to do things 20 years ago, you know, it's like, it just cracks me up, you know, mm -hmm. like, wow. Okay. We bathed every baby, you know, and now we're like, Oh, we shouldn't bathe the babies. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, so we're always learning and changing whether it's, whether it's, you know, the midwifery model and care of women or whether it's, you know, just trying to grow the business model. It's, it's definitely a challenge, but fun. Yeah. You, um, 
you're just an expert is what I'm hearing from you. <laughs> um, so you talked about your business and, and your growth into midwifery. Um, what else did you write down that I should ask you? Um, oh, you were talking about like how to deal with burnout and trauma. Yes. Yeah. You know, I sometimes feel like I have a lot of trauma. I feel like, you know, my life as a midwife started out with trauma. And mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, there's definitely always hard bursts and there's things that you're like, what in the world? You know, how did that happen? Why did that happen? And, and like I said, you're always growing and changing, but I kind of have figured out for me dealing with hard stuff that, you know, I love the comfort and fellowship of my sister midwives that I have in my group and in my community. But I also know that like my hot tub saves, saves my life. Sometimes when I told my husband during COVID, I said, we're getting a hot tub. And he goes, what? I said, yeah, we're just going to get a hot tub. We can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. I was like, you know, my body needs it. You know, we're we're getting a hot tub. So we did. And honestly, I just get in my hot tub and that grounds me. Like, you know how you get out of your body in a birth when you have a lot of adrenaline and you kind of like lay there and you're like, I'm in my head and I can't really feel my body. Like what's happening to me? So I love to just jump in my hot tub and, you know, just listen to some music and, you know, just meditate and look up at the stars and remember God's still on the throne and get myself back in my body. And so those are kinds of the things that really help with those situations. But I mean, being a midwife, it's hard work, you know, it's emotional work. It's, there's a lot to it. So I think we have to, be intentional about learning how to take care of, take care of ourselves, you know, and be there for each other. Yeah. Those aches and pains you feel the next day and you're like, where did that come from? Yeah. (laughs) I do yoga, you know, at least once a week, if not twice a week, I recently took up riding a bike. So I started that this summer and, you know, I haven't done it a lot, but I'm, I want to grow with doing that. I feel like that'll be really good for my health as I'm getting older. I'm hoping to practice maybe another 10 years. I'm 54, 53, how old am I? I'm 54. I just turned 54. Um, So, you know, I'd like to practice till I'm 60 to 65. And so I think in order to do that, I'm going to have to be really intentional about staying healthy and making wise choices with my body and my food and all of that. Um, You asked about what quality um, I possess that that I feel like has made me successful. Um, Yes. I would say like routine, resiliency, um, stubbornness. I'm not an emotional human, but I'm a very, I'm a very, very deep feeler and I have a huge capacity for empathy. I'm definitely an empath, but because I'm not overly emotional, I don't, um, it doesn't probably come out as much. So I feel kind of like I'm strong and I'm, I genuinely love women. I genuinely care about the work I'm doing. And, um, I have a lot of strength and capacity to handle a lot, whether that's my household or my kids or my practice. And I don't, I think that's just the way I'm wired. Did you know these characteristics before you went into midwifery or have you just kind of realized them as you've gone through this journey? Um, I think that I've learned it as I've gone through this journey, because I, it's just something that I don't know that I actually knew about myself. It's something I think people have commented about. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I just figured it out from that. But I also like, I'm a Neogram 8. And so Neogram 8s, you know, I sometimes embarrassed to say that because I really feel like the 8's like the worst one in some ways. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but we are the protectors of people. And I am a protector of women and their birth plans and their own 
you know, goals. So I think that's the one positive about it. Um, but I think that's part of it too. You know, it's just my, my wiring that way. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, you asked if there was anything I was particularly passionate about. And obviously yes. I think that came out in the aspects of, um, I didn't use this word, but what, but what we call maternal mortality. And so I serve on the Kansas midwife or KMA, Kansas, what's it called? I don't know. Maternal mortality review committee. basically. Mm-hmm. So we review, um, all of the deaths of women and their, um, pregnancy or birth or leading up to or following, Um, and so that's really hard emotional work that actually does really get to me, um, reading through those cases and and going through that, but I'm really passionate about it. And I want to have a say so about what our state does, um, legislatively and protocol wise and all of that. So I'm very passionate about that work. You do that for the whole state. It's all the, uh, I, yeah, I'm one of the committee members. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I was thinking, let me see if there's anything else funny. Oh, you asked, like, do I ever feel like quitting? Yes, yes, and more yes. I mean, <laughs> who is a midwife and never feels like quitting? I mean, if if they are out there, like, I, I need to talk to you. Please call me. Um, because, yeah, you have long nights. You have transfers. You have resuscitations. You know, this weekend I had one long birth, and then I literally got in bed, and an hour later I got a call again. And, you know, you go to bed at night, and you're like, okay, please, God, not tonight. You know, okay, I just, please, not tonight. And then you get a call, but, you know, you get up, and you're excited, and you're like, okay, like, let's do this thing. And then you come home, and you're like, I literally have the best job in the whole world. Mm -hmm. Like, you put your head down at night after it's all said and done, and you just think to yourself, what else could I be doing that could give me this much gratification? I mean, there's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing. I but agree. But do you want to quit? Uh, yes. Do I sometimes imagine myself quitting? Absolutely. I sit around sometimes and think, okay, what else could I do that I would love this much and I could make this money? And I don't have to go to work at 8 a.m. every day because I was I am not cut out for getting up and going to work every day and working 9 to 5. If I had to do that, I would be a very unhappy individual. Oh my gosh. The few weeks I've had to do like uh, nine to five for whatever reason, Yeah, getting somewhere new or maybe just whatever the reason I'm like, Oh, I can't do this. <laughs> I need Isn't weekdays so off. Funny? Yes. And I think what's so funny is other people look at us and they're like, what in the world? Like, how do you deal with the fact that you might get called this afternoon and you can't pick up your kid from school or you you can't go to their birthday party or you, you know, are you're tired or whatever? Like, how do you deal with that? I was like, I'll take that any day over getting up nine to five. Yeah. If I had to be a teacher, oh, oh my word, I literally could not be a teacher. No. Props to teachers out there. Props to teachers. I love yeah. teachers. They are mm-hmm. so incredibly amazing. They do like not they get paid do. enough. No, they don't get paid enough, and they are superhuman amazing. Yeah, Could never they really are. That's one job I would never do. So. Yeah. You're a teacher in your own way. Yes, yeah. Just I not to babies, not to little little ones. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it was just the last. Okay, I do usually sometimes will ask, um, like, either a book that inspired you or something you're reading now or some resource that you use often something to pass on to maybe like a student or somebody thinking about being a midwife like what is something you recommend 
Yeah, absolutely. Two things. One, I mean, Ina McGaskin's Guide to Childbirth. I tell everybody to read that book who's having a baby. Um, but then, I, I mean, it's probably redundant and everybody may say the same thing, but evidence-based birth. I mm-hmm. mean, what? I love evidence-based that birth. That girl's a genius too. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, we have needed that resource forever and yeah. so thankful that she had the aptitude and the resources and whatever to put those kinds of tools together for midwives, for doctors, for parents. I mean, in and of itself, that, that, that website and that, that she in and of herself will change birth probably more in the, in the next century than anything that's happened. Yeah. And she's so respected. Like the doctors I work with, I'll say, Oh, here's, here's a resource or here's a handout. Yeah. you know, and they just know that it's backed up and by yeah. research and I love it. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yes. It, it's got the capacity to change things more than anything. Mm-hmm. I think it already has hugely. Yeah. 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 For sure. It's just going to keep on. Yeah. yeah. It's gonna, it's Yay for her. I wish she'd come on her. here with me, but yeah. she's very busy. So she yeah. probably <laughs> never will. Yes. Well, you should try for sure. I should send her an email. Yeah, for sure. All right. So last, I guess, last little bit. Um, and this probably just was kind of integrated in your story, but do you have any words of wisdom or pieces of advice for somebody looking to midwifery as a career? Yeah. Well, actually, um, what I wanted to say for, you know, students and, and midwives alike is, is this basically it's the beginning of my story. Um, and it's, basically the charge that I feel like God gave me. And I think it's something I want to pass on to, to aspiring midwives and midwives um, themselves. And it's basically, you know, uh, it's something I took as an analogy from a Bible story and applied it to my own life. And it's about Joshua and the promised land. And basically in that story, you know, Joshua was looking at the promised land and all he could see was giants you know? And so I liken those giants to some of those things that we have, things like long births. There's still a lot of fear of birth. There's a lack of collaboration for CNMs, especially, Um, you know, there's sleepless nights and there's hemorrhages and there's resuscitations. And basically I could go on and on, you know, about the quote giants that we sometimes are facing in our day-to-day lives. Um, as midwives, as student midwives coming into this. And um, so basically, I just want to say to student midwives and birth workers and midwives this, look beyond the giants. Look beyond the giants and see the land that you've been given. And remember what you know to be true about birth and about your own abilities, about your own training, about your own strength. What have you been gifted with? And um, what do you know to be true about the people that you're serving and birth in and of itself and the ability to trust the body to do what it was designed to do? Remember those things. And finally and lastly, I just want to say to everyone, you know, what's kept me going, and that is just be very strong and courageous. That's perfect. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That was very beautiful. For sure. Beautiful yeah. words of wisdom. Yeah. Thank you, Deidre, for coming on, sharing your story. It had many moments of just very powerful. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a good story. I like it. Can't wait to share it. 
Thanks again, everyone, for listening to another episode. I just enjoy doing these, and it's so much fun meeting midwives and sharing their stories with you all. So if you have any recommendations that you would like to have on the show, or if you yourself would like to be on, please send me an email to journeytomidwiferypodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at Journey to Midwifery Podcast. I love hearing from you all if it's recommendations. I had a recent email from someone that gave me such inspiring words about how much this podcast has helped them get through their journey to midwifery. And I just love hearing those things. They really help keep me going and keep me motivated to get out there and share these stories with you all. So please don't hesitate to reach out to me and share those words. Until next time.